You're listening to Tech Move. This is episode nine, where in today's episode, we talk about Keith's new Tech Move audio workflow. We also touch on his new fantastic digital cinema toy. Then we move into Adobe's Creative Cloud and Keith's initial thoughts. And then we move into a special segment regarding backup. That and much, much more in today's episode of Tech Move. As we kick off another show here at Tech Move, Keith, I just wanted to compliment you quickly on kind of a, a, a new sound that I'm hearing from your mic. It sounds a little bit cleaner, sounds a little bit more crisp. I, I, I hear a lot more detail in your mic. Have you, have you gotten a new haircut? Have you, uh, you know, put on a new shirt? What have you done? Well, besides those things, the, the haircut and the shirt... <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, uh, so I have this, uh, this, uh, headset, um, mic system, which I talked about before and, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Um, but it's not quite as good as like your mic and it's not, it's not a full bodied, really a full bodied mic. It's more of a utility mic and, and it can get good sound, but it doesn't quite have that output that I really need. And I can't speak into it really close up because it has to be the side or I just get to too many plosives. So, um, and, I, and I have a lot of audio recording gear just from my music stuff that I do. I have a lot of audio processing stuff. But, but up until now, I've just been plugging my, my system into this uh, Shure USB um, XLR to basically a microphone to USB converter. Um, that also has phantom power. It's actually a really good unit. It's um, let me look at the model. It's the Shure X2U, and it's it's pretty cool because it's small. It's basically it's about this almost the diameter of an XLR connector. I've seen it and it's really neat. It it, it it's a it's a very nice unit. Yeah, and and the sound is is and the preamp in it is is fairly good. It's not it's not superlative, but it's adequate for this kind of stuff. Um, it also has phantom power too, so you can use pretty high-end mics on it. Um, the only thing is, I think it, it maybe doesn't have as much gain as it could, and and that's really the only thing wrong with it. Um, but so I'm just trying. I have all this processing gear, um, and and I was actually trying it out for the last couple of weeks. But I'm usually just rushing around and just barely plugging the mic into the computer, like two minutes before our episodes to record. Right. So if something doesn't work, I just have to ditch it and go back to the old system. So That's preparation that. for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that we 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 don't spare just anything for our listeners out there to bring them the highest quality that we possibly can. Yes, at least thirty seconds of prep. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and we're like creating the show notes. That's right. Uh, during the show, actually. Right. <laughs> Whatever comes seconds. to my head, I'm going to put it in the show. So, um, but one of the things that, so the last time, the last couple of times I've tried it, um, when I plugged in, so I have this pretty nice um, Focusrite, um, it's a rack unit. It's a two high rack unit. Yeah. It's a two high rack unit, and uh, it's called the Vocal Master. Um, it's it's actually called the Vocal Master Pro. Nice. And I'm not sure. If, yeah, they may have. It's actually pretty old. It's probably 
seven-year-old technology. I think it's when I got it. But I, I um, usually use it you know, like for vocals, for singing or something like that. And it's it's great. It's just basically just got one input, but it's got all these different modules to process that 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 voice. So it's got a really nice preamp because Focusrite has excellent, usually has very excellent preamps. They're known for that. Um, and it's of course got phantom power, um, and then it's got all this all these other effects that enhance vocals. So for example. Uh, it's got a, uh, a noise gate. That's one of the first things in the chain of effects it has. And uh, I don't know, maybe I should explain what a noise gate is for people that might not understand. That would that be is. good. That would be okay. good. So, and actually I'll, I'll demonstrate it right now. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> so a noise gate is basically a, uh, almost like a switch, an on-off switch for the audio. And when the audio gets above a certain level, it switches on and it lets the audio through. But when the audio is below a certain level, it switches the audio off. And what hap the net result is, is that when I'm not speaking, it's really quiet. And when I am speaking, it's just me and my sound and whatever noise and whatever other bad audio is coming along with my voice. But my voice, the, the level of my voice actually can mask a lot of the bad stuff. So what the result is, the sound is actually... Sounds really clean, even though it might not be. <laughs> right. So even though, does that make sense? Yeah. It, it, well, I I, be, I I think because I I just know a little bit about it. I think that kind of one of the big deals is that um, a lot of times when you have a what we call an open mic, is that if nobody's speaking, you can kind of generally hear this this inherent hiss. Right. And right, exactly. it, it, when when you're not speaking on the mic. And what this gate does is that when you're not talking, it just kind of shuts it down. Exactly. It shuts out that essentially background noise that's yep. still contributing to the overall noise floor. Right. And, and I'm just going to, um, I'm going to turn the, the noise gate um, actually off. And so you'll see what the difference is. So here's what is, here's it on. And here's what it, what it is off. The Did noise is incredible. <laughs> turn it down. Turn it down. So now you can still hear my voice the same way it was, but you hear all this background noise like my computer. I actually have my window open, so there's environmental noise outside and all the little noises echoing throughout the house. So you could probably hear a little hiss that came in. And so now I'm, now I'm going to turn it off right now. So you notice how quiet it is? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So that's what a noise gate does. Yeah. And uh, it, it actually can be misused. Like if you have it up too much, and I'm gonna just adjust it a little bit. Um, so right now I have it up at a pretty. It's 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 muting all that background noise, but it's not muting my voice itself. Right now, now if I have it set too too low, like not sensitive enough, then this is what happens. You kind of get like a little bit of ticking and stuff in the background. A little bit. Yeah. It, but you're you're, like, you're in a pretty quiet area, though. I mean, I I, I think what it is is we're, we're we're trying to make it as studio quality as we can. Right. Yeah. My my room, well, except for the big plane flying over, is pretty quiet right now. <laughs> but there's still a little bit of noise. And then, so I'm going to turn it back up to where it was. Actually, the the plane is making it trigger because <laughs> it's <laughs> noisier than everything. Sure, it's a plane and not a UFO. <laughs> it could be. Right. Although those those are usually quiet. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> but now, now, right now is that actually where I had set it. And then now I'm going to turn it up where it's too extreme. And you'll notice it's clip, clipping some of my, see how it's, it's coming yeah. in and out. Right. So it's actually cutting some of my voice out, depending on how loud I'm speaking. It kind of makes it sound like you have a bad cable. Right. So it, adjusting the noise gate to the right level is important. Um, and then some other things in this um, particular unit, uh, it's actually got, and remember when you, when, when, when we first called each other, so when Rodney and I first set up a call, we, we don't record initially when we just call each other, hi Rodney, on Skype. Uh, we just uh, kind of talk for a minute, plan the episode out, and, and Rodney says, wow, you sound really good today. Yeah. And uh, part of it was a little bit more gain, but part of it is this thing that's um, on this unit called the Vintage Harmonics Generator. Oh, very <laughs> nice. I like that. And uh, what it is, it's it's like a tube preamp simulator. I knew you were going to say that because anything <laughs> vintage has to do with tube. Right. And uh, and so one of the things about tubes is that they do create a little bit of distortion, but it's but in some cases it's really good distortion. Right. And uh, that's what this thing simulates. And it's got a couple knobs and thresholds and things. And so I have it running through that. And so that's what's giving that little pop, that little extra high end that you were saying that you liked. I, I think what it also does is that it also gives it a little bit, um, you know, the thing about tubes is that they always say it, 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 it either makes, you know, instruments or voices sound a little warmer. Right. And, right. and that's that, you know, that really is an excellent description of what the, your vintage vocal, whatever you called it thing is doing. It, you sound a lot warmer. Right. So, uh, yeah, there's actually two, there's two ranges in here and there's a threshold for the high band and stuff. So it's, it's kind of cool. And then, um, and then I have one, there's a few other, uh, effects in there. There's actually a tube sound effect, which is a more intense, um, uh, harmonics, but I don't have that in. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's this thing that I have in called the optical compressor. And, uh, so a compressor is basically a way of limiting the dynamic range of, of audio. Well, you know, and I did want to ask you about that because uh, I don't really know how to distinguish between a noise gate and compression. I always thought they kind of did the same things. Yeah, they're actually, you know, the controls are really similar, but actually they have the opposite function. So um, in the case of a noise gate, you're actually you're actually expanding the signal. You're you're dropping you're dropping the volume of signals below a certain level down and above a above a certain level up potentially. So okay. that's actually expanding the dynamic range and that's why it's kind of like contrast in in video or photo. It's like you're when you increase the contrast, you're darkening the darks and you're you're brightening the brights. Right. So things are more distinct. Well, that's what a noise gate or a expander does. They both basically do the same thing, depending on the settings. In the case of a compressor, you're actually taking a really wide dynamic range. Like if you're in a scene, and we're just say we're use the same video or or photo analogy. If you're in a really high, high dynamic range scene, you have a scene that's really bright and really dark, like really dark shadows, and then really bright sunlight. In, in some cases, it's too much of a signal to be captured in one photo. Like the the blacks will either be in shadow and completely black, even though you can see detail with your eyes, or the brightness will be totally washed out and there'll be no detail. Like if it's a clouded sky, you might not see any clouds, something like that. So to 
get the analogy back to audio, a compressor takes the really loud sounds and it actually reduces them. And that's actually pretty important when you're recording because a human voice has a very large dynamic range. And, you know, right now we're kind of speaking kind of evenly and at that one level mostly, but sometimes right. we'll just laugh or right. we'll have, a, you know, we'll crack each other up or, or something. Which so often happens. <laughs> and, and we can make a really loud sound compared to the rest of the signal. Right. And that will actually result in a clipped signal. It'll actually distort the preamps or the digital input to the computer. Yeah. And, and so what happens is we don't want that. We don't want that distorted sound because it sounds bad. It's like the mark of bad audio. It's kind right. of like what a telephone sounds like all the time. Yeah. But <laughs> in fact, if you want to have an, a really nice, clean audio signal sound like somebody talking through a walkie-talkie or a telephone, just run it through some distortion, and you'll get a good, right. a good effect. <laughs> so, so what I've done as well, and I don't. It's hardly hardly ever engaging, but it will engage if I speak really loud. Like I'm going to say something really loud, like Rodney, Rodney. Now, did you notice that that it sounded kind of not distorted, but it didn't right. sound like I was really shouting super loud. It, it did. I mean, like, uh, you know, we all got that you were yelling, essentially, uh -huh. uh, but it wasn't, you know, it, it, it didn't increase our volume. Exactly. Uh, our, 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 our volume, you know, the way we're listening to it. Yeah. So it's, gonna, it's just going to keep it at zero the whole way um, down the chain. And, uh, and that, that's how it works. Uh, okay. So, so, so then... You can use a noise gate and compression at the same time? Definitely. And um, and is that what you're doing now? I am. I have the noise gate running first. Right. And that's usually the way you do it. Usually you, just, you get the amp, the preamp as hot as possible um, and then uh, before it distorts. Uh, and then you, then you put the noise gate on to eliminate any background signal, background noise that you don't want. Mm -hmm. And then after that you can process it with a few different things. The order of those things can be, can vary yeah. depending on the effect you want. You know, and, and that is, that is really great because, you know, we do oftentimes here at Tech Move get some emails or comments about, uh, about how folks in, enjoy the quality of our audio. And, uh, for that, we're very, very proud and we're very happy about that. And, uh, it is, although it is also funny how you are doing a lot of processing uh, you know, uh, in the background for you, I am running pretty much straight through. Right. Yeah. Rodney's the purest and I'm, well, Keith is I'm... on auto tune. So like, <laughs> on... yeah, this is not really my voice. Right. He's, <laughs> he's, <laughs> I'm the natural singer, <laughs> but, uh, right. But you, you know what? In, in all actuality, I think I would like to get a gate and a uh, and a compressor because you know uh, the way I'm doing it right now I have to consciously know not to overly laugh or overly shout or something like that you know I kind of kind of have this kind of normal kind of tone and right. um you know I I'd like to be a little more flamboyant if I could right it just gives you a little bit more freedom I mean that's pretty much what you know, the fact that I got this headset as a reason for that, I don't want to be restricted and be all in this one little um, area that I have to speak into. Right. And then this other thing is another thing that's going to really open open up my freedom to express myself at a, at a wider dynamic range. Right. Um, another thing I just want to um, mention about the reason that I was having these problems with this uh, 
remember I said that I tried it a few times and it didn't work. Right. Um, well, the reason it didn't work was because um, my, my computer is on one circuit in the house, and I think my my audio processing stuff is on another circuit. And sometimes the grounds between those two circuits are not actually the same. Mm. Um, the actual ground, you know, the, the case is grounded. Um, it's basically supposed to be neutral, like completely neutral, zero volts. But in, some, in a lot of cases, in a lot of um, places where you haven't really treated the power that well, the 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 ground levels are actually at different levels right and and if you have one piece of audio equipment plugged into another piece of audio equipment that's they're not the same ground you can get this thing called a ground loop and you may have experienced it like when you go to a situation like in a wedding when you plug your pa in or or go to a theater and you hear this hum that's yep. in the background exactly yep. yeah so sometimes the hum can be really bad and sometimes it's just subtle yeah um and I'm just so surprised how so many places, professional venues I go to, have this hum going on. Yep. And they've, you know, they probably paid thousands of dollars for people to to set it up initially, and then somebody just plugs something weird into it, and they never they got got the hum, but it wasn't so loud that it drowned out the performers, and they just kept going with it right. <laughs> forever. Um, so anyway, when I plugged, um, when I f- first tried to plug this compressor unit in the vo- the voice master, I um I got this huge horrible hum because that was a different uh, ground level than my computer. So one way of doing that is to put what's called a ground lift on on one of the units, um, which basically ungrounds the unit, which maybe isn't that safe in some cases. In my case, I think it's safe. Um, but it, and it's a very simple thing. You just take the three-prong the, the three connector right. uh, that your power plugs into, and you get one of those three-prong three to two-prong adapters. Those oh, uh-huh. those gray things that I have 50 million of them uh, for? Yep, everybody has them. They have that little tab where you can yep. tie on a ground wire, which yes. never, nobody ever uses. You could use it, actually. I, I, I think I've broken those things off because they ended up scraping my other hand whenever I was trying to put the, the plug into the jack. They can be dangerous, but it's good to have a bunch of them available in case you get attacked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Right. I could just see like some hero in a movie using them. But um, I think Lethal Weapon may have used used one of those. I think in your next uh, in your next uh, action picture that you that you make, you, you use these three prong to two prong and use that as one of the main weapons. Yeah, when my when my gun runs out of bullets, and I throw it at the assailant, because that's what you do. You whenever your gun runs right. out of bullets, you throw it away. Look, look, you. you 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 have that little U hook and the and the two possible prongs to go into somebody's gut, so that'll be great. <laughs> anyway, you get one of these these adapters slash weapons, and you right. um and you just plug it in, and what it does is just it just un ungrounds that particular piece of equipment. And I said I'm gonna I'm gonna try that today, you know, in my one minute preparation period before <laughs> before the show, right. and it worked. It sounded great, and now I'm using it. That's so. that's really really good, you know. And uh, as part of the 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 trial and error that uh, Keith and I went through before, you know, I think one thing that is also very important to note is that uh, sure, uh, a little USB uh, thing that you have, because if you remember, uh, I had went and purchased this FireWire uh, breakout box for uh for a microphone has you know xlr and instrument input also has uh you know phono inputs for uh 
you know, for, for direct, you know, vinyl recording into your, into your computer, but that thing just didn't work. Firewire did not happen for us. And I, and didn't you, didn't you try Firewire too, when we first started this thing out? I did. In fact, I was trying to use this vocal master and then go into this thing called a, well, it's another uh, Focusrite product. That's a Firewire. It's an analog uh, to Firewire converter yeah. uh, and mixer. And it did. It just didn't work for us, did it? No, I know for it, me it didn't. For my thing didn't go at all. Yeah, for me it it worked a while, and then it had these weird crashes. Yeah, that's it. Now I'm reminded of that. You're correct. I remember that it it yeah. did work initially, and you were up and running, but then we would just crash and burn. Yeah, and I and I don't know if it was a combination of that FireWire plus this thing called Soundflower, which we were trying for a while to record nah. with Skype. <laughs> The, the the horrible memories you're bringing back, yeah. I I just don't remember. Yeah, if, if it was it was a combo the, of everything. I think. Yeah, and and there's only so much time to research and get this stuff to work right. So we found a combination that worked pretty well. Exactly. Yeah, and I think yeah. we're pretty pleased. And, and and now you sound even better than than before. And uh, and I most likely will not change my thing uh, one iota. So <laughs> because that would mean that I have to buy equipment. Right. And that is forbidden in the Rod <laughs> Louis household. So you might be able to um I might get, fashion get, one out of a tin can or something like that. Right. Just get some spare, you know, electronic parts. Yes. Surplus <laughs> electronic parts and solder them together. Solder gum whatever gum, whatever gum will work. Got. Well, no, that's excellent. Well, you know what? If 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 this becomes too painful for me to keep my voice at one level where where I can't be as animated as I'd like to be, then I might have to uh, go get something. But you know what? In, in all actuality, you know, there are a lot of nice little small mini mixers. I, I think, you know, about a hundred bucks, a little less than a hundred bucks that have some of these built-in uh, uh, effects on them, uh, which I would very much uh, investigate. And, I, and I'm sure they would do a fine job. I think so. You know, it's amazing how inexpensive some of this stuff is getting nowadays. It's, yeah. it's, uh, you know, like even a year or two years ago, this stuff was way more expensive than it is now. Now you can get this Behringer, like six channel mixer with built in effects and compressor, and it outputs a USB audio, and they're like a hundred bucks. So it's right. just amazing. And, and, and that's probably what I would end up maybe getting if, uh, Eventually. Yeah, right. Exactly. If, yeah. if someone throws one off the truck for me, you know, near my home, then I would, right. uh, then I would probably pick it up. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, hey, uh, that is great. Uh, continue, ladies and gentlemen, to notice how great Keith sounds and how, uh, how ordinary and regular I sound. And uh, send us your comments and, uh, you know, let us know what you're using for your... Uh, for your recordings if you're doing anything we'd love to hear what uh what you guys have uh, discovered so uh anyway thank you keith for that little update there and uh we will come back with much much more tech move we'll be right back Welcome back to Tech Move, and I am Rod Louie. With me, of course, is the one and only Keith Moreau. 
And Keith, you know, a little birdie told me that you might have added another new toy to your collection here. And I'd like you to not only spill the beans and share it with all of us, but I'd like to question you about your sanity with more equipment that you purchase. So go ahead, lay it on us, Keith. I have this condition where if I don't buy a multi-thousand dollar <laughs> piece of equipment within a three-month period, <laughs> I just start getting really anxious. <laughs> so... Uh, the, the money is just burning a hole in your pocket, it's right? It's just burning. Right. It's just burning. It's burning. It's painful. And I just have to go ahead and get something. Wow. That's impressive. Go ahead. <laughs> Let, okay. Lay it on us. What'd you get? Okay. Well, I think I actually talked about this before when I was talking about my FS700, which honestly I don't use all that much now, although I like it. It's a great camera. And there's some features in it that are going to be coming out soon, 4K stuff that's really awesome. But... But really, um, I had my eye on this camera called the C100, the Canon C100, for quite a while since it came out. Mm -hmm. um, when it first came out, it was kind of expensive. Now, wait a was... minute. Hang on. Hang on. Let me interject here for just a moment. The C100, isn't that Canon's like cinema series or something? It's, it's certainly not like they're, you know, 5D Mark III or anything like this is an actual cinema series. It is. It is. And, and a few years ago, uh, maybe two years ago, uh, the Canon came out with this camera called the C300. Mm -hmm. And it caused a huge amount of, I don't know what you call it, uproar in the industry. Good or bad? Um, good in a way, because it was a really professional, real cinema camera. And it was really Canon's first. Um, bad in that it was a $15,000 price tag. Yes. I, I remember us talking about that, I think. That yeah. was very early on. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but since then, that camera has been um, really embraced by a lot of professionals. Um, not necessarily people that are doing, f you know, real, like, uh, Hollywood films, but people that are kind of at a little lower level of budget, like documentary makers and filmmakers, indie, independent filmmakers, um, so, so, but still it was a little bit out of sight of my price range and I didn't necessarily like, I, I really had never held one. So I don't really, I can't say of the ergonomics. Apparently it's pretty good ergonomically, but there were just some things about it. I just thought were, it was just kind of overpriced. So they came, they recently came out with, um, this is about really like eight or nine months ago was first announced, uh, the Canon C100, which is like the baby brother of the C300. And, uh, but it has the same sensor. And the thing about the C300 and the C100 now is that the sensor is actually a 4K sensor. Mm. So it, it has a lot of detail in the sensor itself and the, and it's a one chip sensor. So they use that extra, those extra pixels to do a lot of stuff with dynamic range and color and, and processing. So, uh, even though it only goes, it only outputs uh HD signal, which is a 1920 by 1080, um, it's, it starts out with a super clean 4K signal internally. And so I think that helps the image a lot. Um, and, and there's some draw, there's some disadvantages to the C100 versus the 300, although I think there's some advantages to it as well over the 300. Um, one of the things is that the 300 has, um, has a little bit higher bit rate. It's got 50 megabits per second. 
uh, recording rate, and it's a 422 uh, codec, which means it has a bit more color information. Um, and because of those two things, it actually is accepted in a lot more broadcast situations. I, I don't know if you know this or, or the people out there do, but some um, broadcast networks such as the BBC and Discovery and other other broadcasters actually have uh, certain standards for the acquisition camera. And uh, they, they break the rules a lot, but for the most part, they really like to see a certain bit rate. And I think 50 megabits is like the limit right now, uh, like the lower limit for cameras. So if you want to go into broadcast, you kind of have to get a C300 um, if you want to be doing in-camera recording for broadcast for mm. those kind of things. Because because they have the 50 megabit limit or minimum. Yeah, it's the minimum. And it seems like an arbitrary limit. In my opinion, it's somewhat arbitrary because uh, it seems like uh, in really you could get a, a you could have a really bad 50 bit megabit image or you could have a really good 25 megabit image out of right. a different camera. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit arbitrary, but I guess they just have cut, have to have cutoff points since there's new cameras coming out all the time and they it's just hard, too hard for them to evaluate each one. Sure. That being said, there's a lot of films being shown on those films and documentaries being filmed by cameras that are way lower than that bit rate and way lower than that quality. There's a lot of, for example, there's a lot of films being made by the digital SLRs like 5D Mark IIs and threes, mm -hmm. which are way, way below that standard. So every rule can be broken, but. And let's not forget about my personal favorite, the GH1 with the hack. I, we, I think we could get upwards of a hundred megabits. Right. Yeah. So you'll be able to go beyond broadcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so, so, uh, so there's some disadvantages like the view, the viewfinder on the C300 is apparently better, a much better viewfinder. The one that you put your eye up against is much better than the one in the C100. Um, and that's probably true. Uh, a lot of people say the C100's viewfinder is completely useless and they don't use it and it's really awful and they hate <laughs> Canon for it, but they buy it. They buy the camera anyway, but they right. don't use the viewfinder. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't, I actually think the viewfinder is really good, but it needs a little additional modification to it to make it better, which I can talk about a little bit. Um, and there's there's other things like, um, well, the codec in the C the C100 is actually AVC HD, just the standard AVC HD, which is the same in all the consumer cameras out there and the pro, a lot of the prosumer cameras. So AVC HD is has is is potentially pretty good quality but it's not necessarily professional quality mm -hmm. and um uh so now for me it's okay because i do a lot of acquisition and most of my clients and most of the stuff i film doesn't require that superlative uncompressed quality that maybe you can get more out of with a c300 but if you really need that quality you can always get an external hdmi recorder and plug that into the c100 and then you'll get that actually get better than the quality of the c300 from a codec point of view you could actually plug a small for example um there's there's a, a product called the ninja 2 which is which is essentially made for this type of camera which actually is a, it's got a screen on it plus an hdmi recorder and you pop a SSD into it, and it'll do different flavors of ProRes, and you'll be able to get a really nice 
422 signal out of it if that's what you want you'll have this thing hanging off your camera but you'll, you'll be able to get that if that's what you really need okay Keith. so like you know i am looking at a picture of the c100 and uh you know it's it's a neat it, it you know it's a neat unit um kind of hard to describe though you know i it, it, i i don't even know i mean it kind of looks like a like an old hassenblatt uh 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 box camera but the uh um I, I don't know how how good it is to hold i don't know you know do, do you find it handsome uh you know what's your feeling on it yeah you know when you look at it in a picture it's it looks a little ungainly it looks like it's kind of stuck together um and it's because it's not really it really doesn't look like any camcorder or really an, any slr that's been out there before yeah um but but actually it in my opinion it's a lot like holding an slr a digital slr hmm. um it, when i hold it it has that hand grip on the right which has a lot of controls on it just like a canon dslr so you got to be a righty got to be a righty yeah. or at least train yourself to hold that with your right hand and yeah. i think that's just the way it is yeah um but uh but you hold that with your right hand and you can operate stuff with your thumb and your fingers with your index finger and you hold it underneath uh it, it's a little probably a little bit too heavy to just hold it all the time with your right hand although you can um but it's still pretty light it's like three pounds i'll bet you so, could do it just depends on what kind of lens you've got on there i mean if yeah. you got a huge honking lens it's, you're not going to want to do it with just one hand but if you got a little small little prime lens it would probably work pretty well i think so yeah, it, actually, with this, with this kind of all-purpose zoom that I have on there, it's fine. But but honestly, it's better to have two hands because you just get better stability and yeah. less shakiness. Yep. Um, and uh, it's got a pretty interesting LCD flip-out monitor, which for, for what the C100 is, I actually kind of like it in a way better than the one on the C300 because it makes the camera more compact. Yes. If you look at the C300, the LCD is up high and it's on the handle like right. in the front part of the handle. Yep. Um, and it kind of makes everything bigger. Uh, it's probably a better place for it and just for usable usability, but just for compactness and stealth, it's not, it's makes it bigger. Is the flip out screen fully articulating or is it, are you limited in some way? Uh, it actually has a limitation in that it's, it, it, you have to, it's hard to describe, but basically you can't articulate it fully uh, when it's just out in one position. You have to flip it back, turn it around. Like, for example, if you wanted to just look straight ahead, it's great. It's just there. Right. Um, if you want to look at it from above, that's really easy. You just tilt it up so that it's facing upward. Right. And you can hold the camera down like at your waist and, and use it pretty well. However, if you want to use it when the camera's above you, uh, which you could say with a three C three hundred or other typical camcorders, you could tilt the whole screen down and just shoot from holding your hand up and just looking at looking above your head at the LCD. You actually have to flip the whole LCD around um, so that it's facing the other way, mm, and that's mm -hmm. how you get that angle. So mm. it's kind of inconvenient using using the LCD from above, but that's a pretty rare situation where you shoot that way. Mm -hmm. But um, it's but it, but it's pretty usable and 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 you could pretty much use it in all situations. Yeah, I haven't found where that the positioning and the way that that LCD in the back works has been too much of a limitation. Can you watch yourself if you were standing in front of the camera? 
Actually, that's one thing you can't do. You cannot. I didn't no. think so. Yeah, you can't do that. And, and I think that would be a big issue for you, wouldn't it? It would be. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, because not only being the director of photography, I also must be its star. So anyway, but uh, yeah. so. <laughs> well, I guess this one's not for you, but maybe the C300. Right. But <laughs> just for that one feature. That, that or get a monitor. <laughs> yeah, maybe the monitor is a better idea. Right. But uh, anyway. Yeah, so so I find that that but I but I just find the um holding it and the fact that it's very compact, it's very 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 much like holding a 5D. Yeah. Um and and the fact that I don't have to have any special lens adapters to put my Canon lenses on, which I have a lot of. Um I just put I just un it's basically got an EOS mount, so I can put any of my lenses that I use for my 5D or or the EFS uh, smaller uh, sensor size cameras, they'll all fit on this on this camcorder, and that's a real big deal. That's a real big deal, which which is really really nice. It is really nice, and just adding, just subtracting that extra inch or so uh, compared to any of the NEX cameras and using an adapter, that that adds a certain am amount of less trouble to the setup. Um, and an another thing that's that I like about it is the fact that it can be kind of configured so it's even smaller than its normal configuration. The handle comes completely off. The handle actually holds a stereo audio mic in front with a bunch of um, places to screw in uh, equipment and hot shoe. It also has the receptacles for the XLRs in there. Oh, nice. So it's got XLR audio on the handle. But if you don't need XLR audio, if you just want to use it like a video mic pro, you can take the whole, whole handle off and you can just and 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 put a hot shoe type mic like the video mic pro onto the camera itself and then plug the eighth inch into the camera so you can get a really compact almost dslr size of of camcorder but with all the advantages of a a better camcorder than a dslr i must admit to you ladies and gentlemen i have actually seen keith's new toy uh, <laughs> and it is it is beautiful i mean it is really nice and it is uh, pretty compact for something that packs that much punch. Um, and and I, I think it's a really great unit. I think it is too. You know, the thing that was kind of depressing me about getting going from the DSLRs. So when I went from the bigger camcorders like the EX1, which is still relatively small, but in relation to a 5D or a 7D, it's up way bigger. Yeah. Um, and, and it's imposing. You've got a camcorder there. Going to the 5D type size, I just felt like I had so much more freedom to capture reality. Yep. Um, I could just be there and be amidst it all and capture a beautiful image. Um, and then when I decided, well, I'm getting tired of the f issues with the DSLRs, I'm going to get this nice FS700. Actually, first the FS100, and then I traded up to the FS700. I kind of lost that immediacy factor. Yeah. It kind of wasn't as fun. It was like a big pain to get to grab a camera and go out and shoot. And uh, like, remember I told you before that you know when you're saying when you asked me if I would grab the FS seven hundred or the five D. Yep. I say most of the time I grab the the five D. Yeah. And uh, well, now I don't grab the five D. I grab the C one hundred. Yeah. Because it's I think just, that looks good. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just easy, and uh, it's a great image. And it has good audio, um, and 
it's just it's just a fun camera to use. I, I think that you know when you see the pictures, you know, uh, you know wh- whatever they are, the promotion pictures or whatever from Canon, uh, you know it it really looks uh, not much different than a five D. Or, it any, or or any other DSLR body, it doesn't really look that much different from it. Um, it, re- it really it might doesn't. be a little more narrow uh, looking, uh, not maybe not quite as wide as a traditional DSLR body, but uh, all in all, it it has that feel. It really does have that feel. The thing that makes, in my opinion, ergonomically, what makes this thing stand out from other camcorders is is its kind of short it just doesn't stick out that far yeah yeah so that allows everything to you you to get closer to everything and not have this big protrusion sticking out in front of you right right and uh it's it's a little bit bigger than a 5d um you know just everything but just because they're jamming so much stuff in there yeah but not that much bigger really yeah and um so I just I like it a lot, and they Canon recently reduced the price on it. I, I don't know if they're going to continue to. This is like a, it's like a rebate factor rebate on it. So mm-hmm. I think it started out at eight, and then they dropped it down to sixty five hundred. Wow. That's quite a bit. Yeah, and then this month, like I mean, over the last two months, they dropped it a thousand dollars below that. Wow. So yeah, so it's like fifty five. Oh, so here's the question: Did you take advantage of that latest price drop, or did you get caught with your pants down and you only got the first one? Actually, I um, I did take advantage of it. I got it, I got it about a month and a half ago. Wonderful. Good. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so see, so when it's like that, that's one of those things where you just it's tough to say no at that point. For me, it was like a no-brainer. Yeah. For me, that's it's, for me, even at seven thousand, it was like, eh, I think I'm gonna get it. it. Seems a little expensive, but, and then when it went down fifty, I was like, no-brainer. Yeah, that's it. That that that's an automatic purchase right there. Yeah. So I love it. I've done a bunch of stuff with it. It's good, great for action. It's great for all the stuff that DSLRs are good for. But, in my opinion, way better image quality, way better sound, way better ergonomics. It's got built-in neutral density filters so you can go outside you don't have to screw some extra stuff on you just you just click it to oh, whatever nice. you want and it works yeah. well it works really well and and on, honestly the viewfinder is really excellent that's it's actually the best viewfinder from a sharpness you can actually focus with it it's that sharp the problem is is that the cup that they put on it is bad mm-hmm. it's just like a cup that i don't know where they got this idea it's not like a cup that you have on a normal camcorder it's just like a it's almost like the cup that you have on a 5D, mm. uh, just that piece of plastic that it doesn't really let, doesn't really block any light, and you can't push your eye up against it. It was not even really curved to the eyeball. It's just this flat thing. It's just this flat thing that. Yeah. Um, so what I did was I just modified it. I just got some third-party uh, eye hoods, and I got actually got even a little magnifier, a Nikon eyepiece magnifier, that's nice. meant for a Nikon camcorder, a uh, Nikon DSLR. And I just kind of glued that on, and then I put these other hoods on top of it. And now it's just great. It's great as a eyepiece. Great. So yeah. wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. So okay, look. All in all, all in all, uh, is this your best camera that you have? You got the five D Mark III. You've had the Sony FS series. You've had you know uh, you've had you know standalone camcorders. Uh, is the C one hundred your now go to? Uh, unit 
it's the go-to unit. It's the one that stays right next to me. Nice. And it's it's always charged. I can just grab it and go. Mm-hmm. It's the one I've used for all my latest shoots. And it's not only is it good for a run and gun, but it's good for a stationary thing where you just need to blur out the background like an interview for you know corporate interview or something like that. I've used it in all situations. I used it with a teleprompter. Um, the audio on it's excellent. Um, eventually, I might get the HDMI recorder if I want to do some higher end uh, codec stuff. So yeah, it's 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 the one I go to now. Good. That's a rave review that you've uh, given that one. That's a that's a nice unit. Well, uh, I hope that we get to see some of those images that you're capturing uh, uh, from the C100, and um, you know maybe we can post something at least maybe a screen capture of, uh, of it on the website or something like that. I don't know, whatever, yeah. whatever you feel like doing, which would be very cool. I'd love to see that image. Yeah. yeah. I'll do that sometime. I'll right. probably be making a film with it at some point soon. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Well, that is the Canon C100 and Keith's new toy that he actually d- did pretty well as far as a price tag on there. He did pretty good. And so, uh, We'll put a link of that uh, uh, on our show notes and our website. And uh, you, too, might uh, break open the piggy bank for that little unit, huh? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, you know, my money is that I might not. That, 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 that's my money. But, you know, hey, that's me. What am you I get the C300 for the self-recording capabilities. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Which is so useful. <laughs> What an expense that would be. Okay, all right. Well, that is the Canon C100. Keith, thanks a lot for that little review. Thanks for uh, picking it up and giving us some material to talk about. Uh, We will come back with more here on Tech Move. We'll come back right after this. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, Keith. Uh, h- how's things going over there? Well, it's it's going good and bad. Good and bad. Uh, good and bad. Well, share with us what's happening. Okay. Well, um, I don't know. If, I think people know by now that Adobe just uh, released their Creative Cloud software. That... Yes, exactly. And, and, and uh, uh, we were going to touch on that, uh, I think. And you actually uh, took a dive into it. Is that correct? I actually did. In fact, I actually purchased it. I, Ooh. Yeah, I purchased the okay. subscription. I actually had to because they had an offer that was going to expire at the end of June, like June mm-hmm. 27th or something. Okay. So, and this is only 10 days after it was officially released. And uh, and it was, it was a really good offer. It was actually um, Creative Cloud for Teams. And it's a little slightly different than Creative, the standard Creative Cloud. Um, I don't know how different it is functionality wise. It's not, it's no different, but it's just the way that it's licensed is slightly different, but they were running some special on it. So, um, I signed up for it and it turned out to be a really good deal. I think it's, it's like $37 a month. So, so, so with that, you know, when they say teams and stuff that, that, that Mm -hmm. of course, uh, makes it sound like, you know, you should be using it like maybe in an office or something like that for multiple users. Does that mean that for the, price that you paid it th- there's you know other subscribers under your account could get it for that much money i think you can add seats 
for a, mm-hmm. a particular amount. Um, honestly, I don't know how much adding a, an extra seat would be. Mm-hmm. Right now I have one seat, and that's the 37 bucks a month. Uh, and the seat is me. So I'm like the administrator, and, and I'm one of the seats. Right. <laughs> well, but at but at thirty nine dollars, that sounds like a pretty good deal. That's something you you probably couldn't pass up. Yeah, it's it seems it seems like almost half price because I've seen it just retail for like seventy bucks a month. Right. So, uh, and uh, so I think that most people can. Well, I don't know if you can get the the reason I got the deal was that it was expiring the twenty June twenty seventh for a two year guarantee at that price. So, but I still think that people can get that price, but they only they can only be guaranteed that that same rate for a year uh, if they order it now. But it still seems like a pretty good deal. I mean, that's only that's like four hundred fifty bucks a year, which is pretty a pretty good deal for what you get, getting a lot of software. Yeah, so that, I mean, it sounds like a great price. Yeah, so I just decided to go for it, and I'd actually been on Premiere Pro five point five for well like maybe three years and uh and i didn't upgrade to six because there were some bugs that i couldn't um just would have made it impossible for me to use so i just stayed on five five even though cs6 was probably a little bit better technically mm-hmm. um and and so i kind of suffered through some of the there you know slowness and things like that that five five had um when i upgraded to cc i just imported a couple projects basically you can open up old projects with it uh five five and up i think so it's completely well. It's pretty much backwards compatible. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see too much that was not uh, that 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 didn't import properly. From what I saw, it was pretty pretty darn good. The import okay. the backward compatibility, um, and some of the things don't import like the uh, key the keyboard shortcuts and and presets for effects that you might have made. You know, you can customize effect settings and then save them uh, in Premiere. Pro, um, and also you can customize export settings and save them. Those weren't automatically imported, but I figured out ways to actually, uh, like you can f- track down the files where they're stored, and they're just files. And so if you duplicate those files and put them in the different directory for Adobe CC, then it's, they work. They, most of them come up. If Some of them maybe don't because they're not quite as compatible with the news version, but most of them did come up fine. So mm, nice. Yeah. That's that's good. Yeah, and then like the workspaces and things like that. You can also customize your workspaces. A lot of those came over fine as well. Uh those are actually associated with a project file, I believe, rather than uh some kind of setting. But um yeah, so all that was really good and actually the thing that I was really happy with was that it was really fast. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it, the performance was amazing. It it was like real time on on editing. I was at editing you know, five five tracks of of H.264 uh, AVC HD type type uh, footage, and it was smooth. It was good. It was there wasn't a lot of lag when I when I went to a certain area on the timeline. It would just go there immediately. Um, the previous versions would would stutter or sometimes not even start mm-hmm. playing, and it was just like you'd have to baby it to get it to work. Uh, this just seemed like it was solid from the beginning. So I was actually saying, wow, this is really great. So I started editing a really big project. It was like a two-day shoot of, it was probably just continuous shooting, probably like maybe 15 hours of continuous shooting because it was actually a conference uh, with, oh, wow. with five cameras. So it was a lot of footage. Wow. And, I, and then I, and I said, great, and I can use the multicam uh, feature uh, in this um, because in, in at least 5.5, the multicam works, but it's, it's kind of 
kind of um, slow. Things just don't happen that quickly. And I was figuring, well, with this new version of CC, the multicam is actually could be really usable. And mm -hmm. I did it a little bit, and it was actually pretty fast. And then I started having some strange behavior with multicam. Like, it was only showing one of the tracks, and it, it just seemed like it wasn't working the way it should have. Like, and I was like, research, did they change something? Did they change the interface? Did I have some setting wrong? Mm -hmm. So I did some research on the internet. Well, as it turns out, it's a major bug. They released it with this major bug. Oh, no. <laughs> Multicamera is basically broken. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, luckily, lucky me, I discovered it pretty early. Right. Uh, before I did a lot of editing with it. Uh, but there's some really upset people on the Adobe site and some other sites um, saying, you know, I've lost three days of work. I lost a week of work. My time is really valuable. You guys knew that knew about the bug and all this stuff. Um, Adobe's really, and actually they actually had one of their reps going on the forums and saying, we're sorry, here's what happened. We actually knew about the bug, but it was, we had to release the software. We didn't think it was that serious and we released it. And, and, uh, but the the thing that people didn't like is that they released it knowing that the bug was there and they didn't announce that the bug was there. I have a question, you know, with the, uh, uh with this multi-camera bug that's going on, yeah. does it matter how many cameras you're, or like if, if you even just use a two camera setup, would this still be an issue? Yeah. It's anything in multi-cam it's going to be broken. Basically just kind of, once you, once you do an edit, you can do a whole bunch of multicam stuff and it seems like it's working. And, and then when you, when you exit the application or save it, uh, even save it, I think you just save it and it still can be open. Uh, it kind of rearranges all the clips. Ooh. <laughs> so everything's out of order. Wow. So it basically wow. just destroys your work. Uh, you might be able to go back to an earlier version and if you've auto saved it or saved previous versions. But a lot of people don't have that activated or, you know, it. so there's a lot of angry, upset people out there. Wow. Yeah. I, I can imagine the inconvenience that that poses because it sounds as if you won't even know about it until until you review the finished product. Yeah. And, and it actually wasn't something that was that obvious, you know, even in searching, it wasn't that prevalent. It wasn't like an official Adobe announcement. It was just through these forums that it was revealed that there was a problem. So and now it's a well-known problem and hopefully they're going to, they say that they have a fix for it. They, they say they're going to release it as soon as the July 4th weekend is over. Um, <laughs> and well, it's over now and I don't know if it's out, if it's out <laughs> yet. I don't think it is. I'm really anxious to get it because I really want to start editing this huge project on multicam. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. And, and if, if they can't get it together, are you going to go back to five, five? Uh, you know, I, I, I decided to try to go back to five, five with it. And it's just so painfully slow on the multicam yeah. that I almost would rather use the broken version of <laughs> CC and do it some other way, like not uh -huh. through multicam, but just do it through selecting and deselecting clips. Mm -hmm. Um, that's another way of kind of doing multicam is you line up all the tracks, uh, you know, one, one on top of the other, and then you just do a cut across all the tracks and then for a clip, you'll just deactivate all the tracks except for the one you want, that particular clip, that particular camera angle. You deactivate all the others except for the one, and then that's and then you can do that all along the line and kind of, it's much slower than multicam, mm -hmm. but it's not that much slower. 
So, it, so you can still achieve the the desired look. Your your your. It's just you need to plan it a little bit better. It, yeah, it's not quite as convenient. Like uh-huh. shifting, ang- like with multicam, you can just click on the main a main track, which is a it's a it's basically a sequence that has multiple uh, clips. It, it it's kind of like a sequence, but it's all considered one track. And then you decide, mm-hmm. I want this cut to be this camera angle. And then I want this cut to be a different cam- camera angle. And you can see on one of the, the, the user interface is actually pretty good. You can see all the angles at like four up or nine up or whatever. And so you can see all the, even if they're not active, active, you can see the other angles, the other, the other cameras all at once on this one view, in, in addition to the one you've, you're cutting. So the main, the main, the main cut, the one that you've actually activated is a, is a, is a large full screen, uh, the actual edit. And then to the left of that is the four up. Say you're doing four cameras at once. Uh, and you can see all the different angles at once. That way you can say, oh, well, actually that angle is a little bit better. I'm going to change that to, I'm going to change the main, the main cut to that particular camera angle. Or you can ripple, you know, or you can move stuff around or, or um, do, do a whole bunch of editing that makes things go f- a little bit faster in multicam mode than the way that I'm kind of doing it now, which is now, just- you know, the whole the whole thing is that uh, the the software uh, uh, resides in the cloud, correct? Oh, as far as the subscription goes, right? You know, that's actually something that get people get really confused about. No, the just the licensing resides in the cloud. Okay, so, so what are you downloading the software, and then like the licensing goes like. You know, it has an expiration date on it, and it just becomes inactive after that. Yeah. So yeah. So you basically get a subscription, and I think you can get a, a monthly subscription or a yearly subscription. I currently have the yearly. Um, so, although I'm not sure, I, I think it's a yearly subscription, but it's 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 basically agreed to. You know, actually, I'm not positive if if I could wait a year before I could connect to the internet again. I think it's always checking in. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, they're paying by month. Um, I I wound up paying all at once, actually. And um, you probably got a better deal. I, yeah, you do get a p- better deal if you pay all sure. at once, of course. But um, but anyway, your computer needs to connect to Adobe to uh, register that you are in fact a legal subscriber, and mm-hmm. then you continue to use the software. And if you don't, then it'll warn you every time it comes up, saying, you know, you're not you're not authorized to use this. You have five days to sign in or something. Right. Um, and when I had my trial mode, cause I started out, I didn't buy it initially. I had a trial for about a week and a half that I was just playing with. And every time I, it, I launched the software, it said, you have, you know, 20 days left on your trial. Do you want to buy it? Uh, and it just kept counting down every day I used it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like a mission impossible, <laughs> like exploding suitcase or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so it's pretty easy and which there's a little app that comes with it. Um, I think it's called creative cloud manager or something. I have it on my dock. Let me just look at it. Yeah. It's called, is this called creative cloud and you, you can launch it and then it connects to the internet and you can see all the apps you have and which ones you need to download. You can click on them to download. It gives you a whole list of the apps and like, uh, there's a bunch of tabs in it. Uh, we'll pro- maybe we'll put a little picture of it on on our show notes. But it's basically just a little app that has 
uh, five tabs, home, apps, files, fonts, and Behance, which I have no idea what Behance means. I'm going to hmm. click on that. Behance. Got to be hints of some sort. It's showcase and discover creative work. Oh, hmm. you can actually, I guess, show your stuff so other people can see it. That's kind of cool. No. Oh. Anyway, so if you go and if you click on the apps tab, you'll see all the apps that you've either downloaded and are present on your computer are the ones that you could potentially download. And there's a ton of them. There's like 40. There's a lot. Wow. So right now I just have Premiere Pro CC, After Effects CC, and SpeedGrade CC. Those are the three kind of video-centric apps. Um, there's a whole bunch of other ones There's um, that I could potentially download. Acrobat Pro, Audition, Adobe Music. I'd probably download Audition soon. Adobe Scout, Bridge CC, Dreamweaver, Edge Animate, Edge Code, Edge, a bunch of Edge stuff, which I have no idea what the Edge stuff is. A bunch of scripting stuff, Fireworks, which I think is a web thing, Flash Builder Premium, Flash Professional, Illustrator, InDesign, InCopy, Lightroom. Ooh, Lightroom. I didn't know you get Lightroom. Uh, Photoshop, Prelude CC. Prelude's another um, application meant for video. It's kind of used for ingestion, ingesting uh, files, video files, as well as logging them. So I might eventually download that, although I don't have a huge need for that now. Um, so it's tons of apps, which is pretty cool to have all these available. So for your for your yearly subscription, you have access to all those things you just mentioned. Yes. That's yeah. pretty good. It is pretty good. It's it's yeah, essentially, the, yeah, it's like the Adobe Master Collection, which costs $2,500 if you had to buy right. it, the last version. Right. So, yeah, so the idea is really great. I just wish that this bug wasn't there. But so, so that is the kind of the main thing. Otherwise, uh, the 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 software itself is is fairly decent. It's it's fast. Was was it quick to import your projects and stuff like that? Yeah, it's actually everything is faster, which mm -hmm. is pretty neat. It just seems like they figured out how to do everything faster. They figured. And you out even did that without your new Mac Pro. Uh, what the creative? Just launching anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it's uh everything is faster and it's it's a different interface because i'm used to 5.5 so yeah. they've kind of i don't i won't say dumbed down the interface but they made it simpler and so some things are a little frustrating because it's a little different than it used to be slightly different but not it's not like dra drastically different it's not not like going from final cut 7 to final cut 10 it's just the colors are different, and um, some things I think are not as good as they used to be, but it's possible it's just that I'm not used to it, which is a lot of the case. And I'm just slowly getting more more used to it. There's a couple of really neat features in it, like um, like they didn't have that that they didn't have before. There's this thing called join through edits, where if you if you have a clip and you cut it in half, like with a razor blade or something, mm. but you you usually cut it and and maybe you decide later that you really don't want to cut it. Mm -hmm. um, so in Final Cut Pro, you could join it again. As long as it was just a contiguous clip at the cut, you could say, oh, oh. I want to turn that back into its original clip. Um, they never had that in Premiere Pro. It would always stay these two separate clips forever after you cut it in the timeline. So now they actually have this thing called join through. You can select the edit and say join through edit, and it'll just turn it back into the original clip. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a really... There's there's a bunch of little things like that. They're just making it more and more like Final Cut Pro. The way they do the multi-camera syncing is a lot like 
how Final Cut Pro use works, um, Final Cut Pro 7 works, and and uh, it's just like they're just copying Final Cut Pro 7 better and better. <laughs> that's the main that's the main feature set. <laughs> so uh, all in all, all in all, the uh, Adobe CC uh, is is very good, except for this little multi-camera bug issue otherwise it'd be yeah. pretty good little well major actually yeah it's pretty major i mean yeah. it, it it is kind of a, a a big deal but if they uh if they work it out which they should be able to right yeah they say that they have the fix out and it should be out really soon i'm i'm, I'm hoping this week if it's out this week that would be awesome and it, once they get that corrected uh big thumbs up from you big thumbs up wait okay. mainly because it's way faster okay I'm really happy right. with the speed good Good. And it seems like it's stable. I actually haven't had it crash on me. That's good. Yeah, for for brand new like version one software, it's actually it's kind of unusual. How how how, how big of a, a a software is it uh, as far as the download when 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 you got it? Oh, honestly, yeah. I don't know, but it's it's big. All the Adobe stuff is, is huge. Yeah, it's gigabytes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, so uh, it, for the uh, average uh, user with uh, regular internet speed could take a little while to download yeah i think it would take a while it's pretty okay. big it's pretty okay. big yeah right can can you can you pe uh decide what you want like you know if you're just a video person and you just want the uh you know um just the video portions of stuff and you know forget the you know illustrator stuff can, can you piece that out oh you mean can you pay pay, pay different actually yeah. i think you can get one app uh for less Mm -hmm. but I don't think they've actually grouped it uh, any differently than that. It's like one app or all the apps. Oh, okay. And they ha there's nothing in between. So I don't think for the video person, they probably want to have Premiere Pro and then After Effects. And if you're doing that, then you're starting to get into the same price as getting all of them. Right, and then you might as well just get all of them yeah. because it's just a throw-in at that point. Yeah. I have heard okay. that they're thinking about maybe having different groups of software. It's it's pretty new for them, so I think they're kind of exploring. They're open to different combinations and different possibilities. That's what okay. I've heard. Yeah, yeah well, I, I'm sure it certainly depends on what kind of subscribership they get and, and uh, how many of these things they sell, and, and then they'll make a decision on how it's going to go forward. Yeah, it'll be a business decision. Yeah. It'll be yeah. like, shall we make things more complicated for our salespeople and for our marketing message or just just make it one size fits all, you know? <laughs> well, well, that's great. Good, good. Well, we, we look forward to hearing more about Adobe CC in uh, future episodes here on Tech Move. And, uh, you know, as you get to play around with it more, we'll, we'll have more discussions like this uh, with regards to it. Okay. All right. Excellent. All right. Stay tuned. We've got a lot more right here on Tech Move. We want to introduce everyone now to the art of backup. And, you know, Keith and I come from two different schools of backup. Of course, my way and you've got Keith's way. Let's discuss both areas together here. And 
I'll, I'll start off, Keith, by just sharing my backup plan. And my backup plan is taking my video files and moving them off my SD card onto my hard drive and never viewing them again. That's my backup. <laughs> now, I'm going to guess that you might have a different type of a strategy. I'd like to hear what that's all about. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, when people hear about my backup system, they're just amazed at how, how much time and resources I put into backing up. But, okay, so one of the reasons that I back up is that I'm pretty technical, and I actually one of my first jobs, and we talked about this, was working for a, a, hard, a Mac hard drive company. Yep. Uh, Jasmine Technologies, a long time ago. Who I used and, to love. Yeah. Right. They actually made the first... Well, one of the first hard drives for Macs, and this was back in when the Mac was first out. But, um, but, but through them, I, I realized that hard drives are not infallible devices. Uh, you know, I, I was actually in charge of the the tech support and and uh, in the service department there, and they uh, we would get a lot of drives in that just died <laughs> with people's data on it. Oh, and, and you know what? That still happens today. I mean, like how many it, it, the the ever popular term of hard drive crash, you know, is is pretty pretty prevalent in vo computing vocabulary. I'd say. Yeah, hard drive crash is is a very common term, and it's it's like part of the popular. I mean, everybody knows what it means. Well, maybe people don't know what it really means physically, but right, they they probably know that it means something bad. <laughs> Right, 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 right. I think the crash, I think the crash term actually has to do with the fact that the heads, which are floating with a tiny bit of space above the platters on a hard disk, mm -hmm. will actually hit the platter and crash into the platter and, and create a, like a, a mini auto accident scraping along the, the magnetic material that's on the plat platter and just spreading it all over the place and destroying your drive. So they're not spinning in like complete circles, but kind of like wobbling about. <laughs> they're spinning like complete circles, but instead of having a smooth magnetic surface, they're a surface that has a huge divot as if you ran a plow through it <laughs> and magnetic materials just spread all over the place and your, your drive is gone. Kind of sounds like what happens to my automobile engines, <laughs> but yeah, hence the term crash. Right, exactly. But uh, yeah, so I do know that, that and, and the thing too about hard drives, they're mechanical devices. I mean, pretty much no matter how well built something is, it's it's still a mechanical device. And you got to realize that these things are just amazing devices. They're, they've got these spinning discs that are going at about 5,000 RPM or 7,200 RPM or sometimes even faster. That's really fast. Yep. And uh there's a motor that's moving them and there are these heads that are moving around. It's kind of amazing. They work at all uh, <laughs> and last as long as they do. Yeah. But they do have a, a rating to them. The better drives have a, what's called a mean time between failures, which is just, they do an average of how, how if you buy a drive, what's, what's the likelihood that that drive is going to fail? You know, is it 10,000 hours or, or whatever. And at some point uh, the drives vary though. I mean, your drive might, never fail, but then you might have one of the drives that fails 
you know, after you, after the one year warranty runs out. <laughs> so <laughs> like instantly, like the second after, like that never happens. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and if, if hard drives lasted forever, they wouldn't, they wouldn't put a failure time on them. They would just have no, 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 uh, no figure for that. That wouldn't be important, but the, there is a figure and it just means the hard drives fail. So now what happens is usually nowadays people replace their computers and stuff before that happens. So people may not experience a hard drive failure, but, but sometimes they do fail. And with a backup driver or, or drives that you have, maybe you've replaced your computer and, and some of the, but some of the other drives you may have been keeping around those times, they fail as well. They could also fail while they're not even being used. They just, either lose magnetism or they just, uh, mechanical parts in there just freeze up. So there's a lot of, a lot of reasons that drives can fail. So here's the thing. What's more important, the time that it takes you to shoot something and then to use that information later or the cost of buying a drive. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Right. So if you spent, uh, a week, like say you're on vacation and you, and you shot all these great memories and you had a week's worth of of uh, labor and memories on this data, and then you put it on a drive, and you don't back it up, and then the drive fails, well, you've lost that week's of memories and that week's of time, all that time that you spent doing it. And time is money in my, in my world. So I, I just think that having some type of backup system especially since drives, hard drives are so inexpensive nowadays, is probably prudent. So maybe after this uh, segment, Rod, you'll go out, and go out and get a drive, backup drive, and, and get a good backup scheme going. Look, the chances of that are very slim. But let me, <laughs> but, let, let me share with you, you know, my, my thinking about that. And, you know, and, and look, admittedly, it's the wrong way to think. Uh, which is what I'm going to share with you because uh, my thing is just completely I'm I'm playing Russian roulette with everything that is my digital life okay Mm -hmm. because here's here's what I got going I've got uh, I've got a NAS box okay I have a network attached storage device um, that has uh, currently a I don't know like a two terabyte drive and I haven't gotten another drive yet. Why? Because uh, the, uh, the the poor folks in Thailand who suffered those uh, tsunamis from a couple of years back, uh, you know, they had to close down the hard drive plants where a lot of those hard drives are manufactured. And so because of that, the amount of hard drives available had become very slim. So right. therefore... Hard drives got really super expensive. I mean, like, uh, Keith, I know that you remember that, you know, uh, just, uh, what, maybe a couple of years ago, a two terabyte drive was, you were able to get that for like 70 or $80. Yeah, that was amazing. And that was super cheap. And, and, and you know, and that was the whole thing was that drives were supposed to get a lot cheaper even after that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, then the three terabytes came out and those were like about 110, 120 mm-hmm. at best and stuff like that. Tsunami hits and, uh, you know, uh, you know, and those, those poor folks, you know, were out of jobs and some out of their own, you know, lost their lives to the thing. But uh, but man, that still drove up those hard drive prices. 
I'll tell you that much. And yeah. so because of that, you know, I've had to really cut back on my purchasing of extra hard drive space. So I've got like uh what what is my thing? I think my uh, my NAS thing is a four drive slot. And I've only got one drive in there. Why? Too cheap. I'm too cheap. I just won't spend the money because because uh, I really want a three terabyte drive. And, you know, you're, the prices have come down a little bit. I think they're in the, what, 150 range right about now. So it's OK. Yeah. But, man, when you have seen the promised land and <laughs> seen a drive, you know, at three terabytes hovering around 110 back in the day. And there is, and this is the one thing that's actually getting more expensive. Oh, forget it. I'm in complete protest right now. I'm in protest. <laughs> so how much, how much uh, data do you think you have in pictures and movies? Um, I'm a lot, you know, I, I probably, I probably have about, uh, I probably have about a terabytes worth. So how much do you think that's worth to you? Well, it's 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 worth quite a bit. Uh, okay, here, here's one of the things that I did, and this is kind of this is actually very old school and kind of lame. But as far as like pictures go, I think those are very easy to back up because I just back them up on DVD. Yeah, I I, I back them they up on blank DVDs. They don't take up that much space. They don't take up that much space. You know, DVDs are are what ten dollars for a spindle of a hundred now. Yeah, uh, pretty darn cheap. Uh, so so. That part I'm pretty well covered. The video stuff, uh, you know, that that takes a little bit more creativity and takes probably you know much more you know DVD space to back that up. But also with that, I also understand because I've I've experienced too. Uh, optical discs don't last forever; they get pitted, they get uh, 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 they get degraded. And so on and so forth. They don't. They're not meant to last forever either. So right. that I understand also. Hey, right. you, you know what? And and you know what? And here's the way I think about it. And this is this is what allows me to sleep well at night. Is that the the photographs and the videos that I'm taking are pretty much of me eating pizza on a beach. That's pretty. That's pretty much. You know, they're not hiring me to do anything. You know, I'm not. I'm not Stevie Spielberg or anything like that. Shooting the next big thriller or anything like that. It's it's pictures of me like, uh, you know, uh, having a diet coke and pizza on the couch somewhere. That's yeah. what. That's what my videos entail. Yeah. You know, it's not. It, 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 but like you said, you know, you've invested like hours into a shoot you've got a paid thing is that then it's very important then i understand that right you know and and, and that that's the difference that's the difference so if you if your hard drive that all this stuff is stored on uh especially the videos because you probably didn't back up the videos right uh that not as many of them Th those those are a much slower backup yeah so if if for if someday uh, the drive went bad and you couldn't recover it. Uh, would you be sad? I would be sad. Yes. Yes, I would be. So how much is not being sad worth? <laughs> uh, you're, you're right. I mean, and, uh, you know, as much kidding as I do about it, the, the, the actual real thing is to invest in a new hard drive, do the backup in the NAS, 
and then and then have have a copy of that. Um, you know, again, I have four slots. I only have <laughs> one taken up right now. No reason why I shouldn't buy another hard drive, back it up, and just let it go. Yeah, because you could probably get. You say you have about a one terabyte. You could probably get a one terabyte for fifty bucks, right? Well, or close to that. Yeah, I think probably close to that. Yeah. So, and you could get, probably get an external uh, one terabyte for even something like that, and that might even be maybe better than putting in the NAS because then you'd have this this thing you could take around and bring it to it'd be more portable, right. and it doesn't have to be super fast. I mean, like Costco and places like that's. It's amazing how cheap some of those are now. Yeah, right, 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 right. US, and some of them are USB three and yep. And uh, well, maybe I sh- should talk about my probably ridiculous backup system. <laughs> I would love to hear about that because I know this is going to take the remainder of the podcast. So let's <laughs> let's let's start now. Okay, so <clears throat> so there's this concept uh, called online storage, and then there's offline storage, and it kind of. It kind of is what it sounds like. So online storage is the stuff that's the hard drives that are connected to your computer that if you wanted to, you could just start editing with the media for, that are, is stored on those drives. And then the offline storage is is stuff that's off. It's it's actually on a separate hard drive that's maybe disconnected from your system, either on an external drive that's disconnected or just raw drives. Um, there's actually another concept called nearline storage. And nearline storage means that it's, pretty quick to get to it, but it actually is too slow to actually use it for editing. So for example of that would be like Drobo. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. The old Drobos are, are pretty good for backing up. They're pretty versatile and I think they're pretty reliable. I've had, I've had my Drobos for years and they've never actually failed, which is amazing. Um, and they think they have a way of kind of verifying the, the drives that are in there to make sure they're still healthy. Um, but they're just too slow for editing. You know, you just can't do it. Uh, so there, I call that nearline backup. Like if I lose something on my main drives, I could faster than using a DVD <laughs> retrieval. I could, I could copy them back onto a new drive. Right. So, so, uh, the online storage though, uh, because of the inconvenience, like say I was working on a project and I was using online storage and I had, say the project was, you know, a terabytes worth of stuff, which is possible. Um, I I uh, would still want to have that fast access. I wouldn't want to have to go to my backup and then copy it a terabyte over if that ter- terabyte of data went down somehow, like the drive went bad. So I actually have a system on my online uh, storage called RAID 5. And so I have these pretty inexpensive boxes. Actually, they're from Otherworld Computing. They're four bay, similar to your NAS. Mm-hmm. They, they hold four uh, SATA drives. And then, but they're configured in what's called a RAID five configuration. And you've probably heard of RAID, right? Sure, five yeah. zero one. Right. Do you know the, what the different numbers mean? I uh, I do, but I'd like you to explain it to our listening audience. Okay. So so there's different. RAID stands for um, redundant array of in, inexpensive disks or drives. R A I D. Right. So, uh, it was a way to get more space in a particular drive without having to, to have a, have a really gigantic drive exist because drives just get really expensive when they get large. And it's always been the case from the very beginning of, of making these drives. Anyway, 
Um, so raid zero is is sometimes called scary raid, and and what it is, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, when there's more than one drive. Like say it's we'll use a simple example: two drives. Um, and say the say the drives have a certain throughput, like they can go, they can deliver and read and write like a hundred megabytes per second, which is it's pretty fast. Uh, if you chain them together, some of the data it's interleaved data, and some of the data is written on one drive, and some of the data is written on the other drive, and it actually can double the speed, the throughput speed. So instead of a hundred megabytes per second reading and writing, it can be two hundred. So that's that's RAID zero. And if you if you put three drives in that RAID then it could be three times the transfer rate. Four drives could potentially be four times the transfer rate. So it just keeps getting faster as you add drives. And you could, potentially, if you have a big enough enclosure, you could have an eight RAID zero system. It would be really fast. Uh, a lot of people with Mac Pros, they have all four drives uh, in a RAID configuration as RAID zero. I used to have that, actually. Now I just have two drives in RAID zero. But um, it's potential, you could potentially have four, and that's pretty fast. So, but the problem is, and the reason it's called scary, scary raid, is that if one of those drives goes bad, it goes down, it loses all the data on all your drives. You can't resurrect that system. Because now, let me, let me clarify, or let me get clarification. Raid zero means that, uh, like if I had, okay, like in my thing, I have four bays, right? And I have a two terabyte in there. I go get another two terabyte, a blank yeah. one. And I stick yeah. it in there and yeah. I do RAID zero. That means my computer will see it as four terabytes. Is that correct? That's right. It just doubles the capacity. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is yeah. admittedly what I would want to do. <laughs> yeah. You probably, you could yeah. do that. I would want to uh, do that. You'd have, the problem is, is that the first, you wouldn't be able to retain the data on the first drive. You would actually lose that data. When you, when you add that second set of storage on there to try to double it uh -huh. with that RAID zero, it has to initialize that initial drive. So it would have drive. to reformat all over again. Yep, you'd have to reformat the first drive and then and then add it to that that array. You know what though? Uh, on on a lot of these boxes, don't they? Is is there sometimes software that can avoid that? Uh, not really. No, you don't think so. No, it's not. It's not something. Uh, well, not not with not with RAID zero. Mm -hmm. um, you could maybe do it, and I'll tell you about some other of the raids in which have some of that capability. So um, now you could have what's called um, just a bunch of drives. That's called JBOD, mm -hmm. and that actually you just put another drive in, and it just extends the amount of storage space you have, but it's still considered one drive. So you could probably do that with your NAS. So if you didn't want to have RAID, but you just want to have more storage, but you you wanted your computer to see it as one large drive, yeah it's possible you could configure it like that. And that's usually pretty automatic. Okay. But converting something from a non-RAID system to a RAID, I don't think it's it's very normal that that actually is possible. I think you're right. I think I remember seeing uh, that other uh, J, would you call it J? J-BOD. J-BOD. I think I do re recall that seeing that on my software package of my NAS box. Yeah, that's probably something that that's available. Okay, so the next number is RAID one, and RAID one is actually the uh, the wimpy safety net RAID. <laughs> it's it's not scary, right? <laughs> it's actually meant for security. What it is is it's very simply just the data that gets written or read from one drive, actually written, uh, 
reading doesn't really matter. It's always re usually read from OneDrive. But the data that's written to OneDrive is written, the same exact data is written to the other drive, the second drive. And that means that if one of the drives goes bad, the other drive is there and it has exactly the same data on it. So that's a really, that's actually a pretty, pretty good backup system. Um, because drives do fail, but if one of the drives fails, at least you have that other drive that's going to be there. And a lot of server systems, you know, if you have a corporation that has uh, a need for backing up data and making sure it's secure, most corporations will use a RAID 1. Gotcha. And Yeah, and that's just for safety. And and also, the, usually the boxes have a, a indicator, some kind of alert that when they know that one of the drives goes bad and they beep or something, that, and you can take that drive out and you can put a new drive back in to that slot, and then it'll actually copy the data from the good drive to the new drive. So that's that's a pretty good feature. Um, I actually have an external box that has a RAID 1 in it. And I actually, when, I, when I'm going on a trip and I'm going to be away from my studio, but I need to offload my cards, I will bring that. It's a one terabyte uh, RAID 1 uh, unit. And that's what I use. And that's why I bring it, because it's a safe way of storing the data. I remember there was these, um, in the photography and or video magazines in the back, you know, you, they usually have the kind of like one-off products or whatever it is and stuff. And I remember there was this one handheld thing, uh, that they had that said, Oh, you can offload all your SD cards, any data that you want onto this thing. It, it may or may not have a one inch screen on it. Uh, you know, offload with complete confidence. And I think yeah. I actually had mentioned that to you at one time when I was thinking about, uh, about very much this, this, uh, type of thing. Yeah. And I don't think you had a good experience with one of these things. Yeah. I actually got one a while back and, uh, and we're, and we're talking the, the, this technology has been around for a while now. It's been easily yeah. a couple of years, right? It's probably at least five years old. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing I have is five years old. So I got this thing. It's basically this, it has a 2.5 inch drive in it and it's battery powered and it has uh, also some card reader slots in it. It's a compact flash and well, as well as SDHC. And it's an all in one box, right? It's yeah, an all it's in all one, one box. box. It's also battery powered so you can charge it up and it'll run for a while. And it has a somewhat, uh, obscure LCD screen on it that kind of shows you what's going on with little icons that are, could be interpreted different ways. <laughs> not very good user That's interface. That's helpful. Yeah. So I put it in, I experimented with it a little bit, but I never felt like, I actually never felt safe using it. I felt what, like. Was it just because of the, the limitations of the LCD screen and what it read back to you? Yeah. Well, first of all, it wasn't, it wasn't really that big of a drive in there. And also it took right, a it really like, long... It was like 320 gigs at, at best, I think. Yeah, at, at best in that, day, in that day. And that yeah. was... And still those drives were pretty expensive back then. The little the little 2.5-inch uh, ones. I think... I think Well, and, and I think this unit was easily like four or 500 bucks. Well, uh, well, maybe if I had gotten the expensive unit, I'd have a better experience. But I got the really cheap one okay. off eBay. So maybe I didn't get the best one. I tried it and I actually tested it and it worked. It was, it never failed me in my tests. Um, but I always felt like, first of all, it took a really long time 
to copy the data. So you'd put the card in and then it would just, this little dial, would, this little indicator would be spinning on the LCD. And then eventually, like after an hour, the spinning would go away. <laughs> and I guess it was done. <laughs> it's like, if you're really confident, that's been copied over. So I just, I actually never really, really used it. I still have it. It's just sitting in my drawer somewhere. I probably should give it away, give it to somebody else and give them horrible troubles. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but to be fair, but to be fair, it never, it, it did as advertised. It just didn't give you the feedback that you wanted. Yeah. I just never, the, the slowness yeah. combined with the fact that I couldn't really verify that it was working right. that, that, that easily. Right. It just... And also cards, what happened simultaneously is that the cards started getting cheaper and bigger. True. So you didn't have to waste time offloading it. You could just buy new cards. And so that's kind of my, that's kind of my strategy now. So as I have a lot of cards, I just, when I have, if I can on a sheet, I'll just keep using them up. I'll never offload them unless I really have to. And then at the end of the day, if I have time, I'll offload them. But I'm actually even starting, especially if I have, I'm starting to get more of these gigs where it's like multiple days and I don't always have time to spend an hour or whatever setting up my backup to, from the card. So I think I'm going to start buying more cards because they're getting really cheap. Yep. They sure are. Yeah. I'm going to buy more cards and just get really good little card wallets that have a very good uh, way of organizing the cards. Mm-hmm. I, I have some, but they're not that great. And then just uh, do that. I have and one then... too. I, I have a really good um, card storage uh, device called a oh. paper bag. It's called a, <laughs> called a paper bag. That's a... <laughs> there's no no mixing up of the cards. No, in that there's thing. no mixing up at all. I mean, yeah. all yeah. There's <laughs> you just gotta review them. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and probably need to write on the cards with different numbers. I do have some of them, but have a really good system. I'm probably gonna have to start doing that. Because I'm just starting to get too many gigs with too much data, and I can't spend time offloading them all. So, and they're starting to be 32 gig cards are getting really cheap, and even 64 gig cards are getting really cheap. Yeah, cheap. So I pr- could probably use less cards. Anyway, getting back to the backup thing. So that portable unit, I think it just kind of outgrew its usefulness as cards got more higher capacity and cheaper. Right. So that's why it's just collecting dust in a drawer. But um. So we talked about RAID 1, and then I guess there's other RAIDs in between RAID 1 and RAID 5, but I am i don't really know what the other ones do if there are. I know about 5, RAID 5, and I know about RAID 10. So I'm just going to talk about, basically RAID 10 is kind of like if you have a lot of drives, if you have at least four drives. And it's basically a combination of RAID 0 with two drives, and then the other two drives are is another RAID set and it's completely mirrored. So you get the speed of RAID 0 and the safety of RAID 1. And that's what that's what RAID 10 is. And that's what the 10 stands for. It's 1 and 0. Mm. So, does that make sense to you? Sure does. Yeah, so a a a, a configuration that you could put in your Mac Pro cuz the Mac Pro has four bays in it is you could have two two drives configured to RAID 0, another two drives configured to RAID 0, and then those two mirrored those two sets mirrored and that would be a raid 10 configuration. So that would be a pretty cool setup and pretty fast, but I'm going to tell you about a configuration, which I use a lot and, and I have these other world computing boxes. They're called the QX2 boxes and they have four slots in them. They hold SATA drives 
and they have multiple uh, interfaces. So they have USB, they have FireWire 800, they have they also have eSATA interfaces, which is a very fast interface. It's it's the fastest you can get before Thunderbolt came out and USB 3 came out. So those drives I have, and you can configure them in different rate configurations. They have these little this little this little switch that you can choose a number on it and the number indicates which RAID you want those four drives to be in. But I have it set to RAID 5. And the reason I do is that RAID 5 is kind of, in the way, the best of all worlds. You have four drives and the data is interleaved among those four drives. So you, so you get that throughput speed of reading and writing of, of multiplied by at least three drives. But if one of the drives goes down, then the other three drives pick up the slack and and no data is lost. So you could have a drive failure on one of the drives in one of the four bays and you'd still be able to work and you still be able to work fast. Is it mirroring? It's, it's not really, it's kind of like half mirroring. What it's doing, it's taking essentially a third of the data and it's, and it's putting that data on the other drives. So it's a little bit of mirroring but it's in a very clever way. And is it, it seems as if it kind of splits up the, uh, uh, the data. It does split up the data, but there's always an, a redundant amount of data on one, on each drive. So for example, drive one has not only its own data, but some data from the other three drives on it. Drive two has its own data, but data from drive one, three, and four, and so on. So every drive, each drive has, a redundant amount of information about the other drives on it. And so one drive could go down and the other three have, have the data that was on that one drive that went down. And then the cool thing is that you, you can take the drive that goes bad out, put a new drive in and it'll automatically copy that redundant data back onto that drive. So, and this has happened a lot, a lot of drives have gone down. So if you don't think hard drives go down, you'll find out, the hard drives fail all the time when you have a system like this. Oh yeah. I've replaced, I've probably replaced like five drives. Yeah. Over the, since I've, I got these units about three years ago and I think I've replaced at least five drives in them. And so what happens is when the drive goes bad, it starts beeping. And then you know that that, that particular slot starts beeping and lights up red blinking. And you know that that's a bad drive. You take the drive out, you put a new drive in it and starts copying it. And the thing that's cool though, is you can continue to work. While it's doing that, off that backup of that that drive that went bad onto the new drive, you can still actually use the drive in a pretty fast way, so you can still edit. So that's the thing. That's the reason I like that that system. So I have the security of having one of the drives go bad, and yet I can still use this pretty fast online editing hard drive system. So it's like the best of all worlds in a way, and that's why I chose it. So RAID five is what you're using. Yep, RAID 5 on these particular enclosures. And mm -hmm. uh, so what would you, you know, y you know how I work, which is hardly at all. Uh, <laughs> what would you recommend for someone like myself? Because I, I, I would imagine that you know, you're everyday, you know, hobbyist and stuff like that, of, of which I consider myself, uh, you know, would maybe not have the, the resources to do a, a really great, you know, raid five raid 10 type of thing what would what, what at minimum would you like to see us have i think at minimum you should have uh, an external usb drive and back up all your data 
with it at the very minimum. And data by, if you're on a Mac system, I'll just talk about it. It's the stuff that's in your home folder, mm-hmm. the one that has your name. You should try to back up everything that's in that folder. And if you and if you do that, you're probably going to be backing up all your data unless you have some other strange scheme to store your information. Or for a Windows machine, a My Documents folder. I think so, yeah. And and at least then if your machine dies, if, if your machine dies or if the hard drive dies, you'll at least have your data saved. And there's a lot of extra data on the system things that like, but that can be replaced. It might be an inconvenience to, to replace that. Um, that's the, that's the minimum, minimum, minimum. And then if you want a, a little bit better backup system than that, it's still data related. And uh, if you're on a Mac, I would use, um, time machine. Um, time machine is a pretty cool incremental backup system that can, that senses the changes in different versions of files, as well as deleting or adding stuff to the hard drive. So if you accidentally delete something today, it has a copy of it from yesterday. And that part's... I have not even used my time machine yet. Not even. Yeah. And I I really should. I I, I feel bad that I haven't done it because it seems like it's so easy to use. It's really easy to use and it's very... Well, it's really great when you are missing something and you you know that you probably deleted it. Right. Uh, it, It does require more more space than just a straight backup because if you think about it it's actually saving the history of all files throughout time right so if you have one terabyte of data to backup you might want to get like a two terabyte drive yeah Uh, it can save all the different versions of things so that that's actually a really easy to use system they have a i think they have something called a time capsule i don't know they still have it but i think they used to and that's a that's a network version of that yeah isn't that the external hard drive with Mm -hmm. the with the time machine on it yeah, it's an external hard drive, and it communicates to your system through either Wi-Fi or Ethernet. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it might have some extra stuff on it, like a USB, um, a USB port on it, so you could hang off another drive and maybe even do stuff like uh, what a what an Airport Express might do with audio. I'm not positive, but I know that it's a pretty good solution. Although I've also heard that it's kind of a lot of trouble. Like sometimes it doesn't work that well. So, but I would just say get an get a get a cheap USB drive. It doesn't have to be that fast. Now, here's the thing. The drive itself is not, I mean, that's that's an important thing, but the really important thing is how you do the backup. Like, what scheme do you use to backup? So using Time Machine, since it's built into the Mac, is really easy. You just put the drive in, you tell Time Machine, yeah, I want to use this drive for Time Machine, and then it just does it. The bad part about Time Machine is that it can be resource intensive. It can actually be backing up when you want to do something else, and it's taking your computer CPUs, cycles away right. from you right as well right. as using your hard drive mm-hmm. that's the one thing and that's one of the reasons i don't use it i think there are some ways to customize it with third-party apps that will adjust it so it only does that at night or or during downtime but as it was when i first used it i didn't like that part of it so i discontinued that but for people that aren't really that into the speed and getting the most out of their computer i think it actually might be one of the best solutions because it's it's built into the mac it's free you don't have to get anything else um, I actually use a different backup scheme, and would you like to hear about that? I I'm <laughs> waiting on pins and needles to hear what that is. Okay, so I told you about my online versus offline, right? Right. Or near near line storage. So so basically, every night uh, I have my computer set up to start a backup at two a.m. Usually, I'm done work by two a.m. and I have it basically 
back up all my online drives to my Nairline drives. And I use this this very excellent application called Chronosync. And you should check it out. We'll put a link on the website. It okay. is an amazing system. It's a little technical, but it's actually not that hard. You can you can decide how you want to how how you want it to back up. So what I do is I just have it back up and verify the backup. Just like I did, I was telling you about the how I do with the flash uh, cards for my camcorders. Right. Uh, it actually will copy the data and then it'll read back the original data and compare it to what it's copied to make sure there's no errors in the copy. And if there is a cop- copy error, it'll actually notify me. It'll actually email me saying there's an error with that particular file. And maybe the file got corrupted or the hard drives are bad. So it's a really good way to do that. Also, sometimes there's errors just for permissions or other issues. Anyway, I get an email, a set of emails every morning tell me what's going on with that. And you can just program in your email address, and it just uses the Apple system to do that, to send you emails to whatever address you decide to, to give it. Um, and so I do that with all my drives. So I have it, so I have an internal, it's kind of like my main, my main drive that I uh, have everything stored on. It's my main big hard drive RAID that's in my Mac Pro. That's a, a f- it's a six uh, terabyte RAID array. It's basically two, two, three terabyte drives that are in a RAID zero. Nice. So that's the scary RAID, right? right? But I have it backed up every night, so it's not that scary. Okay. And so I do. I have it back that up, and that goes onto that actually goes to onto one of the OWC uh, RAID five units. And the reason I do that is that if those if that RAID internal RAID and my Mac Pro ever goes down, I want to be able to actually use this data in a really fast way. And that's why I have it on the RAID 5 as a backup, because in case it ever went down, I could just take that enclosure and I could plug it into my eSATA port on my Mac and I could actually use it as a pretty fast drive, even though it's external. And I, so I wouldn't be down, even though my internal drives are bad. I'd still have this external backup that's the exact mirror of my internal drive and it's fast. So and allowing that, you to just work right off it as as if it were the main drives. Yeah, because when I'm when I do all this stuff, I'm thinking about if one of these things goes bad, how much dime, downtime is there for me? I don't have. I want to have as little downtime as possible because time's money, and sometimes I have deadlines and I can't spend a day resurrecting my system. I have to keep working. Right. So I have I have to figure out what is going to keep me working immediately. Like. In this case, it'll take me like 10 minutes to switch drives. So I've lost 10 minutes, but instead of losing a day, having to replace these drives and, and back them up from the original. And five, six terabytes of data is quite a bit of data. It takes like several days to back up, even with a fast connection. So <laughs> at least 24 hours, even yeah. with eSATA. So then, so so every night, and then I have between six terabyte and 12 terabyte um, uh, RAID 5 arrays. And these are the external closures. And then I have those backed up to Drobo's every night with the same exact size on them. So, and those are all RAID 5. So even if drive goes bad in the RAID 5, I could still use it. And even if something really bad happens and the whole drive goes down and two of the drives go bad, which actually has happened before, um, <laughs> I can, if two drives in the RAID 5 go, ba- go bad, you've lost it. You've lost the data. Right. Only you can only, you can only uh, have one drive go bad. But then I have the, at least I have the Drobos that even though they're slow, I could still have the data. Right. Even if they're slow, your, your thought is at least you have them there. They are. And that might take a little longer to recover, but at least they're there. And and that's your kind of third backup. 
right? And then I have another backup. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I have the offline hard drives. Um, these are the drives where I've just, they're kind of old projects where I don't think I'm going to need them, but I don't want to delete them. Right. So what I actually do is I use my old drives because, you know, as capacities go up, like, for example, with my Drobo, Drobos, I started with one terabyte drives in them. Mm-hmm. And then I updated to 1.5 terabyte drives. And now I'm up to two terabyte drives. And then on some of them, I'm up to three or four terabyte drives. So they do make four terabyte drives now. <laughs> oh, I know. And th- th- those are just astronomically expensive. Yeah. Um, well, for me. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, actually in one of my, um, in one of my RAID five boxes, I have four, four terabyte drives in it. You know, and that's the weird thing is that when these faster or, or bigger capacity drives come out, sometimes your NAS box won't be able to take them. I oh, think, that's right. You, you know, with, with, without some, maybe some sort of firmware update or something like that. But I know that for my box, uh, I think the limit right now is at three per, per drive. Yeah, three, three terabytes. terabytes. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's about it. If I wanted to do four, I don't think I could unless there's a firmware update, which I haven't checked yet. Yeah, yeah, and some yeah, that actually happened with me when I put the four terabytes into into this enclosure. It was actually an older enclosure because they've come out with new ones, yep. even though it looks exactly the same. Yep, it wouldn't work. Yep, exactly. So yeah, so I wound up scrounging another enclosure, which actually was a backup. I have also have extra enclosures that are just have nothing in them in case this happens. Right. right, <laughs> or, right. And so I put it in the newer enclosure and yeah, it actually worked. Luckily that was a, a little tense moment. But anyway, so then I have these extra just raw drives that I back up really old projects on, on some of my older drives that I've since taken out of my enclosures. And I use those to, to back up um, stuff that's offline and it actually came in handy uh, just recently. Uh, I had this project where I was opening up this premier pro project from about a year ago Mm-hmm. And there was one sound file that was totally missing. It wasn't on any of my online storage, even though it wasn't that old of a project. But I think I'd archived it, and then I just deleted it. Because, you know, you're always trying to clear up space. I, I There's a lot of extra files that get built up with editing projects that you don't need anymore. You know, like preview files and caching files that get, that get added. And a lot of stuff you just want to delete. But anyway, somehow I had deleted one of these media files on an old project. I went. I have this great app... It's called Disk Catalog Maker. Oh, okay. This is another app. I don't think it's that expensive. I think it's like 20 bucks, and I think there's a light version that's free. And I think sometimes it comes with Toast, uh, which is another, like a disk burning app for the Mac. But it's an awesome app. What it'll do is scan all your drives. If you have a removable drive that you plugged in, you can tell it to scan it. And it just saves all the file data and how big the file is and where it is on that drive. It's kind of like a finder, but it's offline. That's pretty neat. Yeah, so I, did, I so I have this big safe, this fire safe full of drives, all these raw, raw um, IDE and mostly SATA drives, and so I just did a search for this file name that was missing, mm-hmm. and I and I found out which drive it was on on my offline drives, so I just went into my safe, got that drive, plugged it into my external uh, SATA, I have this external SATA enclosure that that converts to FireWire. Yep. And I just found it instantly. I actually found it through this program because there's an option to sit located on the drive. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And, and, and then, then so what you have those offline drives like numbered or lettered or named yes. in some sort of way that you can yeah, find I have it? A, yeah, I have them named in a, a pretty unambiguous way. Like the black one? 
<laughs> the black one, the big black with, one, the dusty with, with big silver <laughs> Phillips screw heads on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as opposed to the big black one with little little screws. It's a perfect identifier. Right, exactly. That's how I would identify them. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I have, and I actually have a uh, have them labeled and. And so, uh, yeah, so that works really well. And although it's not the, so having offline drives is not a perfect system because offline drives can go bad, you know, just sitting there, they're not going to be perfect forever. They've got lubrication in them. They've got mechanical parts that can stick and mm. wear out. And right. so I've actually had some of these offline drives go bad. It was really sad. Oh, <laughs> and wow. This is my so, only copy so of for, some stuff. So for as far as you've held them. And, and, and thought that you put them in a safe spot, they turned out to be not usable anyway because you can get anything off of it. Right, right. It doesn't happen that often. And in this case, I think it happened with one or two, two really old drives, like 10-year-old drives. But still, they do go bad. So you can't just keep this stuff in there forever and hope it's going to actually work when you take it out. So you you know, if you really want to um, be safe about it, you would take those offline drives and, and check them, You know, run them through some kind of... Uh, checking application that goes through every sector on the drives and, and make sure that it's okay. It also, when you do that, actually the drives have this automatic software in them that's built in the drive that will actually map up bad sectors. So it's a good practice to read every sector uh, with some type of application. Like I use Drive Genius to do that. It just goes through every sector on the drive and then that actually max, maps out the bad, the marginal and bad sectors mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. copies the data onto good sectors. That's and people don't know this, but every drive has a, a certain amount of reserve space on it, like because they know that sectors are going to go bad. Right. So, as the drive is actually working, like even the drives that are currently like in your iMac, continually, it's actually going through. And if it can't read very well, like if it has to try two or three times to read some data, it'll just automatically map out that sector and say that's a bad sector, and then it'll say instead use this sector with this data on it, and it's doing that invisibly under the covers all the time hmm. so that should give people a lot of like f warm and fuzzy feeling that their drives aren't going bad <laughs> <laughs> they build in this function to map out drives as they start disintegrating <laughs> that is uh that, that i i really like your um your strategy and that's the word, <laughs> your strategy of uh, of backup. Uh, it, wait, wait, I'm not done. I'm, I'm sure you're not, but... <laughs> no, actually, there is one more thing that I do. Oh, oh my gracious. <laughs> so, not only that, I actually back up... You have up an armed what... guard at your home? <laughs> is that what it is? Well, actually, I have two other things that I do. I have these fire-resistant hard drives. Fire-resistant hard drives? <laughs> yes. What the heck are those? <laughs> they're these kind of... They're actually not that expensive, but they're these USB... And uh, they're these USB 3 drives that are... They're three terabyte drives each, and they're gigantic, and they they weigh like... They're like bowling balls. They're really heavy, the enclosures. They're like made out of some kind of steel that's like fireproof, uh -huh. and they have USB ports in them. Is and, it like rated at like 50,000 degrees or something like that? Like no, safes are or something? Well, it's like, it's a lot like a safe. Yeah. Just, it's like a safe, like a fire safe that has a hard drive inside of it. Right. Um, but they're actually weren't that expensive for what they do. Uh, cause I could get a safe and I could put a bunch of raw drives in them, but I, or I could get these and, I, and then I could have these actually being backed up live. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I actually don't have that completely installed yet, but I've got two of them that have some some data on them. Since they're three terabytes, they don't hold that much. Right. Uh, but I got a total of five of them. So I'm going to put the most important stuff on that, and then I'm going to put it in my garage, which is the highest point in the house. So in case there's a fire, because I actually live in a kind of high fire. I live in the mountains, and there's this high fire danger here because it's dry and there's eucalyptus all over. Um, so if there is a fire. I have all my stuff in my house, and my house burns. Data from decades is gone. Right. So that's... I haven't had time to technically totally do that, but <laughs> but then there's the other, then there's the last resort of backup, and that is backing up to the cloud. And I actually have a lot of data backed up to the cloud. Right. But that's so I, very slow, though. It's very slow. It's just every night I have it turning on at night, and it just is con- continually backing up. And I have a pretty fast internet connection. Right. So I wound up, I wound up backing up about 20 gigabytes a day. Wow. So... um so that does add up after months and months and months. So I have a I have probably about 10 15 terabytes out in the cloud. <laughs> so if I have the ultimate catastrophe and like right like Thor decides to throw his hammer into my house. <laughs> the Avengers have a fight on my house. <laughs> and everything is completely obliterated. Right. I might be able to save some of the data. Right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you this much. You've made me rethink my own backup plans. And uh, you know what's funny is that after that entire explanation, I'm probably going to end up still going to buy a $120 3-terabyte drive <laughs> and popping it into my little NAS thing and just going RAID 0 and hope for the best. <laughs> Well, <laughs> so you see, ladies and gentlemen, you learn something new every time you listen to Tech Move. Well, um, Keith, that was uh, that sure was stunning information. I, uh, I I'm glad we know that the video that you shoot will. I, I mean, you know, in reality, though, that's a good thing to know if you're a client of Keith's. That uh, <laughs> if you yourself lose something, hey, just call Keith up. He might. He might very well have it. He might. <laughs> oh, that is so great. Well, uh, okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for uh, for uh, hearing our our little plans of backup. Hey, either come to Rod Louis's camp or come to Keith Moreau's camp, whichever we one you want to. Do, there's obviously no middle. So, any- <laughs> <laughs> so that's our little diatribe on uh, on backups, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you want more information, turn to the website, techmovepodcast.com. We will have links on some of the things that we've uh, mentioned here, some of the things that we use, and some of the things that we do. And uh, we will uh, return with more of this silliness here that we like to call Tech Move. that looks like it's going to do it for another fantastic episode of tech move keith uh, you know i don't know about you i'm exhausted 
I'm exhausted. I, 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 have, I have. It's been incredible. Exhausted, but I, was, I was exhausted before we even started. <laughs> well, all right. Well, let, let's let's say our goodbyes. But first of all, we got to let all our fine listeners know that, of course, you guys can find us on the web. We are located at www.tech. It's okay. You can edit. Just keep, yes. You can find us on the web at www.techmovepodcast. That's all one word, kids. Dot com. And then you can also find us uh, on iTunes. Just do a search for Tech Move, and you will find us there. And uh, Keith, uh, we, we encourage our great listeners to write reviews, don't we? We do. It's actually great for the podcast for people to to write, especially positive reviews. They must um, be positive. <laughs> our policy is that we do not accept negative reviews. That is that is correct. There's no such um, thing as that. There's no such thing, but right. uh, go to, go to iTunes, search for for Tech Move. Um, most likely, you've probably already found us, but uh, if you're listening to this podcast, but if you're not um, a subscriber, please do that, and also um, give us a review, and you know, say whatever you want. That's great, and rate us, and of course, more stars is better. Right now, we actually have a five star rating in the iTunes store, which is that- we're pretty proud of. We, we we are very very happy with that, and we thank you very much for being such great listeners and great audience to listen to us goof around like we do here. Um, another thing we're trying to do is to make it a little bit easier for people to buy stuff to, through Amazon, through our website. Uh, and then one of the reasons we want people to do that is just we, we actually just make money off of it. You know, it helps support the podcast, which is actually a lot of work. Now, uh, hang on, Keith. Now, that doesn't mean that our fine listeners have to actually buy something or anything like that, does it? Uh, well, actually... They don't need to buy anything from us, but if they do their normal shopping on Amazon, but they just use our link, which is techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon, uh, there's a big button on there that just says shop at Amazon. And if they click on that button, they're going to go to the Amazon site like normal. They can do all their shopping. They can do whatever they want. Uh, but in that particular session, whatever shopping they do, we'll actually get credit for. And ah, we'll so get we, a get a little, we get a little hit off that, huh? We get a little commission, and people buy so much stuff on Amazon, I know that I do, that it actually could be significant uh, amount of income for us and help support the podcast and keep this podcast going. Well, I do need a new yacht, so uh, that, that's good. So folks, uh, do that. Techmove.com slash Amazon is the uh, address. Yeah, techmovepodcast.com slash Amazon. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. What did I say? <laughs> Something else, but that's okay. Our competitors. <laughs> ABC123.com slash. <laughs> I told you I'm dizzy. I'm dizzy. Let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. Uh, uh, where else? Oh, how about Stitcher? They can find us on Stitcher too, right? They can find us on Stitcher, and you could go to Stitcher and do a search for Tech Move. You can find our links on our on our Facebook page, on our website. Uh, you can even subscribe to us on Twitter. We're Tech Move Podcast on Twitter. That's so, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. A lot of great places to find us. Please write reviews. Give us a little feedback. Uh, you can also send us email. Send us email. We love to hear uh, any comments or questions that you may have. Uh, you can either do that by email or through our Facebook page. Uh, you know, you can reach us any number of ways. So, anyway, that's a great way to reach us. Uh, look, coming up on uh, our next episode of Tech Move, we've got a couple things that we want to talk about. We want to talk about Keith's disaster 
Now, if that's not a teaser, I don't know what is, but he's got a disaster that he needs to get off his chest. It's actually multiple disasters. We're going to call it the Keith disaster episode. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, I'll I'll be ready to bring my smoking jacket and my pipe, and I'll be uh, getting ready to get my popcorn and sit comfy for that exciting, exciting uh, segment uh, about your disaster. So I, I hope you live through it. I'm not sure. Will you? Well, I don't know. If, if, I'm, if I'm talking to you, I, I don't know if you'll live. Uh, okay. Uh, what else we got next uh, during our next episode? Anything else we got there? Or will it be a surprise? I don't think we have anything planned <laughs> other than Keith's disasters. <laughs> that You know what, folks? That's enough. Okay. <laughs> well, that's it. So that's going to do it for us here at Tech Move. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing and everything that you do out there in listening land. We'll catch you next time right here on Tech Move. Okay, that's going to do it for us with here uh, with us here at Tech Move and our little episode nine. Join us again next time for our next episode. And until then, have a great time uh, doing your whatever you do. <laughs> it was turning out so good, and then I goofed it up. Okay, here's where you edit. Here's where you edit. Here's where I come back. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> okay.